This evening I want to examine the life of one of my heroes from the Bible. The wonderful life of Joseph. Joseph the son of Jacob. And to compare and contrast that with the other son who is the apple of his eye of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the the beautiful account of Joseph's life is the worthy ending of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and may well stand as one of the stately and colossal pillars in the portal of the temple of divine truth. There's so much in the word of God. We We risk so much by jumping over these books. And his life is one of the few almost blameless lives of the Bible. And stand side by side with Enoch and Daniel in its unblemished loveliness. It is full of the most affecting and practical lessons for our Christian life. And it touches at every point our experience of suffering and trial as the children of God. And the great principles of divine providence which God is ever working out in each of our lives. Is shown here in the life of Joseph. And in the higher realm of typical preaching, it foreshadows the character, the sufferings and the grace and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ with a vividness and power unsurpassed by any of the figures in all this wondrous wondrous gallery of divine symbolism. So when glancing at Joseph's life and his character, in both these connections, with respect not only to our Christian life and character, but also to his great antitype, the Lord Jesus Christ, blending aspects of the changing panorama that we see in Scripture as it's unveiled before us. When we look at Joseph's birth, he was his father's beloved son, and so the fishing type of the well-beloved son. And there is something so beautiful in the simplicity with which John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved in John 20 and verse 2. We can see the idea of what it is to be beloved. You know the name David means beloved? Beloved of God. What a beautiful name. The name John also means beloved of God, by the way, in the ancient Hebrew. Not bad. It's good to have there. But this shows us images of the divine heart of our Lord Jesus with the love for those whom he loves, with the place he would have them be. And that is right next to his heart. Now Joseph had a tempestuous life to begin with. He had these dreams and you might say, why on earth did he tell his brothers and his family about these dreams? when he he must have known they would have resented what he was going to say. But in the culture at the time, you had to tell your dreams to your family because this could be a warning. And not telling them of this warning was certainly not the done thing, even if they didn't like it. Well, unfortunately for Joseph, it didn't quite work out the way he hoped that it would. The consciousness of his coming destiny was divinely impressed on the heart of the child. And with ingenious frankness, he gave the fullest expression to what must have seemed his extravagant pretensions and expectations. And although rebuked and ridiculed by his jealous brothers, he still persisted in his confidence and his testimony. 
And so upon the consciousness of Christ's early childhood came the foreshadowing of his lofty character, of his destiny, even when he was but 12 years old. It forces itself into these amazing questions which he asked people in the temple. And the confession he says to Mary, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Luke 2 and verse 49. We can see the connections there. Even at a young age, he was standing for the truth, but it still upset his family. And afterwards, even in the face of his enemies, and in spite of their hatred and their persecutions, He witnessed his own divine character and glory until at last it cost him his life. So also to the believer. To the believer God unveils both by his word and by his spirit through his word the vision of his high calling. Sometimes the veil is lifted higher and the soul is permitted to know enough of the divine plan to prepare it for service to fortify it against trials and sufferings and inspire it for sacrifices and triumphs in the cause of Christ. So the great apostle pressed on with the invincible cry, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Romans 1 and verse 15. Trusted in God, he obeyed God and he implemented his will within his life. Now, whereas Paul had some idea of what was coming, poor Joseph couldn't have known. Apart from the dream which he had, he couldn't have known the fulfillment, but what an amazing fulfillment in his life. It was for the joy set before him, however, that our master endured the cross and despised the shame. And we too shall overcome as we steadily hold in view our high calling in Christ and the immortal crown that he offers to those who stay true to him. As we look at young Joseph's sufferings, they are preeminently typical of the sorrows laid upon his great antitype, our Lord Jesus Christ. He was hated and envied of his brethren because of his testimony concerning himself and his claims to his father's special love. So Christ also was hated by his brethren, persecuted, rejected, and at last condemned and crucified, chiefly on the account of his claim to be the Son of God and his unfaltering witness to his Messiahship and his glory. Now Joseph was sold to his enemies for 20 pieces of silver, and so the Lord Jesus was betrayed and delivered into the hands of the Gentiles by the counsel of his own nation, his own brethren, and judged and condemned in spite of the attempts of Pilate to release him. Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. That's about $600 today. Now Joseph was separated for many long and lonely years from his beloved father, and he was really given up for dead. And so Jesus left his father's bosom, and even bore the very hiding of his father's face, and the anguish of his wrath and judgment on account of sin, and at last died under the dark cloud of divine judgment. Joseph was exposed to the most powerful temptations from the world, the temptations of the flesh and of the devil, but he resisted with inflexible fidelity to the will of God, 
and the voice of his conscience. So Satan assailed the Son of God with all the allurements and solicitations of evil, but found nothing in him. Of Joseph we have no recorded blemish or willful sin, but of Jesus we know that he was holy, he was harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners, and was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. And he is the only one who has ever been without sin. He is sinless. Now Joseph was accounted guilty of the sin of others and really suffered innocently because of another's wrongdoing. So too Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 and bore the iniquity of us all. And so you can see the foreshadowing of Christ's life and the life of Joseph, the comparisons. These are not coincidences. Christ was crucified under the judgment of human and ecclesiastical law as a criminal and was so accounted by his own contemporaries and judges. This is the keenest of all humiliations, to be assumed guilty of that which we utterly abhor. The shadow of sin upon the soul is darker even than its penalty, for Christ was innocent of the crimes laid against him. Joseph too was innocent, and he humbled himself to a lot of the deepest degradation and the most menial drudgery and toil and did it willingly and with all his heart, accepting his situation with beautiful submission and patience. He never lost his faith in God. No matter how bad things are going to get, God is with me. That is the attitude, that's the attitude which we see in Paul the Apostle, which we see in all of the servants of God. No matter how bad it's going to get, in the end, it's going to turn out right. For if they murder me, I will gain heaven. I will be with Jesus. And if not, then I will continue to please him. For that is what I wish to do with my life, with my soul, with all of my strength, to please him, to stand before my king one day and hear him say, Well done. Well done. But here we see how Jesus became not only the man of sorrows, Isaiah 53.3, but a man of toil, laboring at his workbench, with sweat of brow and weariness of frame like the poorest of men. And to the end of his life, knowing all the hardships of poverty and want, weariness and homelessness. The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head, Luke 9, verse 58. This was his uncomplaining cry I am among you as he that serveth Luke twenty-two twenty-seven. that was his chosen place here we have the king of heaven by blood the rightful king of Israel Herod was sitting upon his throne wearing his crown but Jesus had more important things to do and he did it for the love of us. If we were to spend the whole of our lives thinking and considering all the hardships that Christ went through, 
we could not imagine how hard it must have been for him. Hard because of his sufferings. Hard because he was tortured. Hard because he was crucified. Hard because he was betrayed by the very people he loved. Hard because no matter what he did for some people, they would not come to him and never would. But he knows that love, unless it is voluntary, is of no value. He wants our love. And he deserves our love for what he did for us, does he not? In speaking afterwards of his suffering, Joseph adds no word of reflection or regret. He sees the hand of God in every step and made him the man he was. He says, God sent me before you. It was not you that did it, but God. Ye meant it for evil, but God sent it for good. For good to preserve much people alive. Genesis 45, 4. This he said when he talked to his brethren, who had left him in the hands of the Ishmaelites to be sold into slavery, and then told their father that his beloved son had been killed. And as we look to the Lord Jesus, we see so that the Lord Jesus never recognized his sufferings and death as the plan of the Father's wisdom and love. Or ever, beg your pardon. He ever recognized his sufferings and death as the plans of his Father's wisdom, of his Father's love for all of us. He knew what had happened. He knew the chosen path of human redemption, what must be done in order to save us. And yet at the same time, involving a no less degree of guilt on the part of those who wickedly ministered to his destruction. And so Peter declares in the beginning of Acts, him being delivered by the determinate counsel of God and foreknowledge of God. You have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. Acts 2 and verse 23. Have you ever stopped to think what would have happened if you were the only person in the world and you'd sinned? And your just death was hell? And your loving father knew this to be so? He knew somebody had to pay for the sin because God is just. We would have had to have crucified him ourselves. And he would have done it because he loved us. The Lord is an extraordinary king. An extraordinary man. He is God and man made flesh. And he is the rightful judge of all of us. And so the Lord Jesus declares himself to his earthly judge. Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. John 19 and verse 11. And yet with strange solemnity he adds, in the very spirit of the truth we have just stated, therefore he that delivered me unto death, of there that delivered, delivered me unto thee, hath the greater sin. The sufferings of Joseph were not lost but with a means in God's marvellous providence of saving his house and the whole world from death. And so the type is fulfilled in the glory and eternal issues of Christ's cross. 
of Christ's shame, in the salvation of myriads of the redeemed from eternal death. It was this that enabled him on the threshold of that cross to cry, except a corn of wheat fall unto the ground and die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. John 12 and verse 24. The Lord also said in John 12 verse 23, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He knew what he was facing when he went towards Jerusalem and not away. And he did it out of his love for each and every one of us. That should make us feel loved. That should make us feel valuable. That should make us feel overwhelmingly and eternally thankful. Jesus said in Acts 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Returning now to the application of all this to our own lives, we find in Joseph's sufferings that beautiful example of the spirit a Christian should exemplify under any trial and any affliction. Like Joseph, our sufferings may often come from our own brethren. Many of the bitterest cups of our lives are put to our lips by the hands of those whom we love, often by our own families, by the people we trust the most in the world. When men attempt to polish a diamond, they either use another diamond or diamond dust. And so God has to purify us by the hard attrition of our dearest friends or often our fellow Christians. Shall we not, like Joseph, see his hand above theirs and take our lesson and hold our victory? Like Joseph, we must also expect to be tried, to be misunderstood, hated, persecuted and wronged by the world. We should not expect less than our master. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. John fifteen 20. We've been told this by Christ. We should expect it. Indeed, I would say if the world doesn't oppose us, then we're probably doing something wrong because the devil's leaving us alone. And if he's leaving us alone, we are right where he wants us. We want the devil to be upset. We want the condemnation of the world and the pleasure of Almighty God. You see, the secret of victory lies in the spirit of integrity and an unfailing confidence in God as one that is mightier than the world and that will bring forth our righteousness as the light and our judgment as the noonday. Psalm 37 and verse 6. Peter writes, Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls unto him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. 1 Peter 4 and verse 19. So you see, like Joseph's life, like Joseph's sufferings, our sufferings will often come to us through the grossest injustice on the part of men, involving loss and even shameful reproach, lies, slanders. The verdicts of public opinion and human authority are not always equitable. And many of God's dearest children have lived long under the ban of the most severest injustice. And I would say we should expect this to come any day in our day. Expect it. Because the word of God preaches truth and love and compassion and true equality. All the things that the world hates. All the things that Satan opposes. 
This seems at first to human nature very hard to bear. And yet the apostle has said, he said it better, that it is better to suffer for well-doing than for ill-doing. Peter wrote, If when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable unto God. For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. 1 Peter 2 and verse 20. Brethren, the best thing we can do for those who attack us, for those who oppose us, who oppose God's word, is not to strike out at them. It's to do something far, far better. Pray for them. Pray that their eyes will be opened, that their hearts will be softened. Pray that those who are our enemies today will be our friends tomorrow. Pray that those who oppose us with tremendous zeal today will stand side by side with us in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, in proclaiming his gospel to a world that is in dire need of real truth, of real joy, of comfort, and true compassion. Like Joseph's sufferings, our sufferings may be aggravated and prolonged by the neglect and the ingratitude of others, and even those whom we have most kindly befriended, The fellow prisoner whose release Joseph predicted forgot him the moment he was reunited into his place and escaped his own misery. But he left Joseph languishing in his neglected prison. Left him there for years. When with one word he could have set him free. So our hearts will often ache at the inhumanity of men and the ingratitude of friends. And oftentimes we shall find our best services unappreciated and unrequited and shall even be cruelly stung by those we have now benefited or even saved. How much suffering there is even among God's children which one word would avert or the smallest sacrifice would prevent. But we must learn to endure and to wait and to render every ministry unto God rather than to men, and accept our recompense not from human gratitude, but from our master's righteous hand. How exquisite the answer of the great Christian soldier, who, when parched with thirst after a bloody battle, was handed a cup of water by his attendant. And when he was about to hold it to his famished lips, he saw the hungry eyes of a wounded enemy looking at the water. Hastening to his side, he handed him the cup, But the man, instead of taking it, made a sudden feint and then by a quick movement tried to strike his noble benefactor with the death's wound in return for his love. The brave officer sprang back and saved his life. But his attendant, with fierce indignation, raised his sword and was about to bury it into the body of the man he had tried to help. But the good man held him back, took his sword from his hand, disarmed the wounded enemy, and then, handing the cup of water to his attendant, quietly added, Give it to him all the same. Let us love and let us bless rather than curse. 
Luke 6.38 makes it very clear. We are to love. The hardest ingredient in suffering is often time. A short, sharp pang is easily borne, but when a sorrow drags its weary weight through long, monotonous years, and day after day it returns with the same dull routine of hopeless agony, the heart loses its spring, and without the grace of God is sure to sink into the very sullenness of despair. Joseph's was a long trial in his life, and God often has to burn his lessons into the depths of our being by the fires of protracted pain. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Malachi 3 and verse 3. As we look at the hardships which we face in our lives, let us look at ourselves as a tool being made and fashioned by God for his purposes, being fashioned in the furnaces that we face and being made ever stronger, stronger in the right places, weaker in others, sharper and duller in yet other places. When we look at a sword, we think that it is, it is fully made and fully sharp and it is fully strong, but this is not so. The edges are softer. The core is softer so it can have some gain. The plane of the sword with the fuller that's on it is made stronger to give it strength. It has to be forged. It has to be shaped. And every shaping and, forge and, and forging of a blade has to be done according to to a special way called the golden rule. And our lives too have to be shaped that way according to the rule of Almighty God. We don't know how long it will take to be made fit for his purpose, but God does. And we are to be patient. That patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing James 1 and verse 4. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 10, the apostle writes, The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brethren, this is how precious jewelry is created. And we are his precious ones. Like Joseph, let us meet our sufferings in a spirit of courageous cheerfulness and make the best of them. Perhaps God is giving us fire in our belly. Perhaps God has given us a strengthened conscience. Perhaps God is giving us a will that will not be broken or bow to the will of men, but be dedicated to the service of God no matter what. Joseph might have given up. We could give up. But he may have given up and said in Genesis 42, 36, There is no use trying. Everything is against me. As many a young man is tempted in adversity to do. But Joseph went into Potiphar's kitchen, not to repine and fret, but to be bright and useful and to do his very best. And so he succeeded that before long he had the highest place in the household. And then when the scene was changed from the kitchen to the prison, Joseph again, instead of giving up in sullen despair and feeling that there was no use trying, resolved to make the best of his position and to succeed where he was. And before too long, he was the chief of the prisoners. 
wherever he found himself, he did his best. He wished to please God, trusting that God would take him out of that situation. But he learned, and everything he was in, he learned. You may have heard of people who run multinational businesses, and their children think that they're going to go straight in at the top level. But their father says, oh no, not so quick. Get you down to the post room. You're going to start there. And then you're going to clean the toilets. And then you're going to clean the windows. And you're going to learn from the bottom up. And you're going to value every person. You're going to learn the business inside out. Wherever he found himself, Joseph strove to do his best. And having succeeded in a pantry and a prison, he was ready for a palace and a throne. The man who cannot succeed in a trying position is not fit for an easier one or fit for a greater one. This lesson of Joseph's life takes hold as no other in the scriptures of the practical questions that meet every man and woman and especially every young man and woman in the battle of life. Why are things like this? Well, like Joseph we shall find it indispensable in the time of trouble to retain our integrity as a jewel above all price. Being right with God is more important than pleasing our peers or caving in to the temptations in front of us. He chose to keep his conscience, his conscience so pure that by well-doing he was able to silence the ignorance of foolish men And he gave the devil no place for his assaults upon his faith. And it is the same for us. Joseph's heart would surely have been crushed if in the dark hour he had been compelled to say like his brothers afterwards, I have been verily guilty, therefore this distress has come upon me. Genesis 42 and verse 21. If we have been guilty in anything, let it be quickly rectified. And it shall be forgiven. And then with a pure conscience and a true heart, we can stand against all the storms of trial, all the storms of temptation. The support of Joseph in his trial was the confidence and consciousness of the divine presence and the constant assurance which sprang from his earthly faith that God Almighty's hand was overruling his life. Yes, it was hard now, but in the future things will get better. And he is learning, and he is growing, and he will apply it. Think of the life of Moses. For 40 years, he was a prince in Egypt. He had the best of everything. For the next 40 years in his life, he was a shepherd in the desert, struggling just to put food on the table. And the last 40 years of his life, he was a prophet of God. The first 40 years of his life prepared him for Egypt, prepared him for their politics, for their religion, for their culture, for their geography. The second 40 years prepared him for life in the desert. God knew what he was doing with Moses' life, even when Moses couldn't see it himself. God knew what he was doing with Paul's life, with his education, with his zealousness, before Paul even realized it. So his skills were used zealously for the proclamation of the gospel. That which he had learned in order to crush Christianity became that which he used in order to promote Christianity. God knows what he's doing. 
There can be no doubt that in those dark hours, Joseph's early dreams ever shone like the pole star of hope upon the midnight sky. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross to our Lord Jesus and despised the shame. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Christ knew what was coming. He had prepared for the time. And he showed us in his example humble service to Almighty God. And so we too must hold fast to our faith, to our hope, who is Christ Jesus. Or we cannot overcome the billows of sorrow. We must ever recognize the hand of infinite love in all our trials and never for any instant listen to the devil's whisper that the Lord has brought it hither that he might destroy you. This was the cowardly cry of a wicked king. But fate's answer ever is, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea. Psalm 46 verse 1. What faith! Should we not hold that faith ourselves? The Lord God is with me. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. Isaiah 50 and verse 7. This is the hope we have as Christians. God knows what he's doing. He's shaping us for his purpose. But we must be willing to be used. We may not see now the outcome of the beautiful plan which God is hiding in the shadow of his hand. Yet it may be long concealed. But faith may be pure. And we may be sure that he is sitting on the throne, calmly awaiting the hour, when with adoring Love for him, we shall say, all things have worked together for good. Romans eight twenty eight. And like Joseph, let us be more careful to learn all the lessons in the school of sorrow, the school of hard knocks, than we are anxious for the hour of deliverance. There is a need be for every lesson. And when we are ready, our deliverance will surely come. And we shall find that we could not have stood in our place of higher service without the very things that were taught to us in the ordeal. God is educating us for the future, for higher service and nobler blessings. And if we have the qualities that fit us forth, Rome, all earth and hell cannot keep us from God from the throne that God has made for us, from the crown that he has for us, when God's time has come. We cannot see it now, but we shall surely find in God's afterwards the benefits and the necessity of the discipline which his patient love has held us to so strictly and yet so wisely in the experience of our life. Joseph trusted in God. He went through many hard times, many hardships. Sold into slavery, lied about, accused falsely of a terrible crime. And yet, 
He rose through Egypt. God, through his providence, rose him through e- in Egypt to be the prime minister of the country. He was given a ring by the Pharaoh, which gave him the same power as Pharaoh wherever he went. He spoke for Pharaoh. And he was in the right place at the right time when his family, starving, coming from Canaan, begged for help. And he was right there. God had put him in the right place at the right time for the right purpose. And even though we might not understand why we are here or why we're there or or what's happening, God has put us in the right place at the right time for the right purpose. We must trust in God. He knows what we do not know. And he knows when that knowledge will come in correctly and handily for his service. We can trust that God knows what he's doing. We can trust that God can move us from one place to another so those that need to hear the message of the gospel will hear it. So we'll touch a life that otherwise would never have been touched. What we learn from scripture through all these examples, types and anti-types is that God does not forsake us. God has his plan and we must make ourselves of use to him. We must surrender our own pride, our own egos, and make our ambitions his ambitions. We know that the King of kings, our Lord Jesus, is loving. We know that he cares for us. We know that he is willing to go through all of that suffering because at the end there is the reward. And brethren, isn't it humbling to look in the mirror and think that no matter what the world has said to you, no matter how many times people have hit you and said that you're a lazy lump, that you're no use, that of no use of any to anybody, that you're the prize he died for on the cross. You're the prize. How can that not cheer us up, fill our hearts with overwhelming joy to know that Christ died for us? He knows us by name. He knows when every hair falls out of our heads. It's no challenge. I know some of us have more hair than others. But he knows. And he loves and he cares. One of the most touching scenes in all of the Bible, which I read of, is when Stephen was being stoned to death. And he's seen Jesus Christ sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Oh, sorry, not sitting down. Standing up. The king of kings, the ruler of the universe, stood up and witnessed the martyrdom of his dear child. Of his suffering on behalf of Christ. When Christ talked to to Paul upon the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? Christ takes it personally because do you know something? We are the apple of his eye, as he is the apple of God the Father's eye, as Joseph was the apple of Jacob's eye. And we know from reading scripture how wonderful it was for Jacob to be reunited with the son Joseph after such a long time, after believing him to be dead. Can you imagine the joy? And yet that pales compared to the joy of one sinner that repents. The angels in heaven rejoice. That's how valuable we are. That doesn't mean we go around with big heads and you know, think that we're, we're the greatest thing in the world. He's the greatest thing in or out of the world. It is a joy to be his. 
to rest in him, to have our hope and our joy in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Why wouldn't we seek to believe and be baptized? Why wouldn't we seek to please him who went through all that he went through for us, for you and me? If you're not a Christian this night, get right with God according to his ways. He's a plan for your life. You might not think so, but he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And he will be the love of your life beyond all of this. And if you're not a Christian, please become one. I beg you, while yet you may, while yet you're able to do so, while yet you have the mind to do so, before your eyes close forever. And if you are a Christian and you've wandered away, you can be reunited to the Father and he will receive you back with joy. If there's any way we can help you in your journey towards this great, providential and loving, compassionate and just God, the God of the Holy Bible, then we're here to help you. And if you're a child of God and you've, you've wandered away, Please come back while yet you may. Your love for him may have waned, but his love for you has not. It's not too late while yet you breathe. Thank you for your attention and may the Lord be with you.